0: Good morning, welcome to the show. Tuesday the 11th of January, I'm up bright and early this morning. I'm off to Exeter this afternoon on Racing TV duty. Overnight news coming in from the United States, it won't surprise you, it concerns Bob Baffert whose lawyer, Clark Brewster, has fired a warning shot across the bows of Churchill Downs Incorporated in an attempt to not only have Baffert's horses accepted to the next two Kentucky Derbies, from which he's currently banned, but also to recognise the qualifying points of the horses that have amassed those so far, which are ineligible Churchill Downs last year. Uh, Clark Brewster, Baffert's lawyer, said the complaint was sent as a centrepiece for discussion. It was intended to generate honest discussion and avoid litigation. It has been rebuffed. Now, Bill Carstangent, the chief executive of Churchill Downs Incorporated, has come out fighting. He said the threatened case, as he described it, according to the New York Times, was completely meritless. And he goes on to say the threatened lawsuit is yet another tactic from Mr. Baffert's well-worn playbook of obfuscating the facts, inventing excuses to explain positive drug tests and attempting to blame others to avoid responsibility for his own actions. We are considering any and all legal options available to us to set the record straight and ensure Mr. Baffert is held accountable for all the reputational damage he has caused. Carstangen said the irony is not lost on us that despite all of his violations, he is the one threatening to file lawsuits claiming to be aggrieved. Um, strong words from Bill Carstangen in response to the complaint against Churchill Downs filed by Bob Baffert and his attorney. And more on that story from our American correspondents on tomorrow's podcast. But first of all, domestic matters. And if you thought that the Bob Baffert situation was an interminable one, then you can think the same about uh, Robbie Dunn uh, at the moment, because uh, further developments in that story yesterday, as I welcome in the Racing Post, Maddie Playle.
1: Okay, Nick, so Robbie Dunn has been granted a seven-day extension um, to appeal against the 18-month ban that he was handed um, for bullying and harassing Bryony Frost. So he was uh, found guilty of four breaches of the rule. He was originally given seven days, you remember, from uh, the disciplinary panel's reasons. And he's actually been granted um, this extension of, um, of of another seven days.
0: Okay, so another, another seven days for Robbie Dunn to decide whether he's going to appeal. Of course, he may be appealing to have his sentence reduced rather than uh, to have the entire case thrown out. That we we don't know at this stage. Maddy, an interesting story in your paper came through quite late last night from your colleague, Jonathan Harding, about possible races for syndicates, quoting the head of Foxtrot Racing, Dan Abraham, who also runs the Race, uh, race Horse Syndicates Association. What are they proposing here?
1: They are proposing that a race is created um, exclusively for horses who are in shared ownership um, in syndicates. He's saying that, In Australia, they are creating a very valuable race purely for horses owned by syndicates. Um, and He thinks we should do something similar in Britain with a final at either something like the Cheltenham Festival or Royal Ascot. He thinks that it would give a larger group of people um, the opportunity to have big runners on that sort of stage um, and obviously would be a very valuable prize in its own right. And I guess it's it's about making racing more appealing on the biggest stage to smaller owners, um, and giving owners a chance that he thinks they wouldn't already have. I think in general in racing we can be a bit standoffish when it comes to new ideas like this. Uh, but the fact they're clearly trialing it in Australia um, is is very interesting, and it would it would be a refresh on what we've seen before. Personally, I'm not 100 sold, but I think we should look at suggestions like this with an open mind rather than sort of um dismissing them straight away.
0: Yeah, my my issue with it slightly is, and, and you've got to be a little careful here, because if you if you say you don't like the idea, it sounds like you're you're not backing syndicates, and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, the more syndicate ownership, the better. The more people you can draw into the sport and have a great experience the better we're all going to be for it. And the more competitive the sport's going to be for it. I just don't think this is an area where syndicates are, are underappreciated or, or underrepresented because there are so many race opportunities. You could argue too many race opportunities for, 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 for horses. And that's you know, something we've been discussing quite regularly. I, I just wonder a, whether there'll be sufficient horses to meet the criteria to fill these races. And when we're talking about too many opportunities and, fields being too small and uncompetitive betting up. And also, as I say, I, I'm not sure this is an area where syndicates are, are particularly deficient. If you look at Midland Park, Nick Bradley, uh, Hot to Trot, a Million in Mind, Elite, Owners Group, all fairly big syndicates, with lots and lots of members. They've all had significant success at either Cheltenham Festival or Royal Ascot or both.
1: In, in the article that Jonathan um, wrote, Nick was suggesting a final at, at Cheltenham or Royal Ascot For me, I don't think that's a good idea. I think we need to really make these headline events as elite and as high quality and as compelling as we can. I'd argue even at the moment that that has been passed. So I think by adding an additional race, especially with the driving force behind it being different in this aspect, I'm not sure that's the right move. Creating races in this way, we're probably going down quite a dangerous path.
0: Well, if you're someone who worries about getting overly strong January vibes, you probably shouldn't really be reading the racing papers or, or listening to this podcast because we in this sport, particularly in, in Great Britain anyway, where it's grey and miserable, uh, tend to obsess and handring over the quality of the sport that takes place between the busy Christmas period and the Cheltenham Festival, of course, you can't have all the goodies all the time. But that's not to say efforts aren't being made to make the racing just a little better, a little brighter, a little shinier, a little more competitive for that series of weekends between January the first and March the fourteenth, fifteenth, whatever it is. Uh, Simon Clare is the PR director for Entain, the parent company of Ladbrokes Coral. He's also a recently announced member of the body we've been talking about, the Quality Jump Racing Review Group, and Simon. Uh, Coral's the brand that you're most uh, notably associated with are uh, uh, sort of trying to shelve in behind this this effort. Just tell us what you're doing this weekend at Kempton and, and next month.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, Coral's got a strong um, heritage with their horse racing sponsorship. You know, we sponsor the Coral Eclipse since 76, the Coral Welsh Grand National since 1973, and uh, we've been at Cheltenham since 1974. So, you know, horse racing is important to Coral. You know, it's important to Labricks, my other uh, sister brand as well. But for Coral, it really is... Uh, the central focus and that's the plan going forward for the brand and um so as part of that we're looking at extending you know the Coralband into into more racing sponsorship which is exciting for someone like me who uh, loves racing and in looking around at opportunities you know a few months ago and um, you know the, the, you know we're, given we were focusing so much of our energy on this tr- this problem child of jump racing, the January February period and um, I looked at two meetings which I I've I, got uh, memories of great memories of being strong race meetings, the Kempton Lanzarote meeting, and particularly the old racing post chase meeting in February. Um, and it struck me that they really had lost their way. You know, they'd lost their luster. They certainly lost their value. Um, and and they were available. So I spoke to the jockey club. Uh, we worked up a plan. And, and I, I didn't just, you know, they were available just to sponsor and get the value from ITV coverage and the racing channel coverage. But I sort of said to the jockey club, look, now we know what the, ne- the needs are. Yeah, you know, let's match funds, build those pots back up. And I know it's not just about the money, but prize money is still very important. It's the way meetings are initially judged before you think deeper about the conditions. Um, and that's what we've done. We, we, we boosted the Lanzarote hurdle this Saturday uh, back to uh, 100 grand from 45 KSA back to, I'm sure that's roughly where it was <laughs> in inflationary terms about 30 years ago. Um, and the Silviniaka Conti, the grade two, um, up to 80 grand from 60. And um and kind of thrown a gauntlet down with this and the February meeting to, to, to the and saying, come on, we put some money where our mouths are, you know, could please respond, you know, come and back us and let's try and build these meetings back up.
0: As far as the the February race is concerned, I mean, this was the race that was made famous by the exploits of, of Desert Orchid and, and so mm. many more in the, in the early days and rhyme and reason. And uh, many you know, really good celebrated chasers won the race that was known as the Racing Post Chase. And it struck me that it's not just about money. Uh, and it's not just about positioning in the calendar. It's about, you know, the activation of your sponsorship and the, the publicity of the day. And since the Racing Post sponsorship ended, it's just rather been allowed to drift.
2: That's absolutely right. I mean, the Racing Post actually did a great job with that race. I mean, my memory is right. Desert Orchid um, did a, you know won the race, but uh, Doctors Express, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the sort of the, the great heroes won it. Uh, Nakarat, that popular grey of Tom George's. You know, even, even sort of 15, 20 years ago, it sort of had a uh, full field generally and, and, and a luster but it's just sort of it's just lost its way the last few years i think it's had different sponsors pretty much every year i know betdac um sponsored it BetBright, bright uh, betway i think close brothers last year and, and that doesn't help um, so that's why this is only the start for both these meetings you know we, we we're keen having injected money in them to see an immediate response and immediate results but actually we've learned that you know ourselves as coral that the, the, it does take time to build and you're right we haven't uh, we haven't done anything startling on the ground yet in terms of activation but we plan to i mean our ambition with all these sponsorships is not just to get more compelling uh, racing on and high quality horses running it's actually to try and get more customers going more coral customers ideally but you know <laughs> we're not going to close the door to all other boogies customers and race goers and and you know it's, it's a great kempton is a it's an amazing track you and i know that and all the horsemen say they know that and the you know, it's it's just we need to we need to support it more, and it had a wobble, obviously, with the jockey club, and um, you know, considering you know, and other other options for it a good few years ago, but it's it's you know that's been shelved, and um, I think it's now's the time to, given given the problem we mm. have in that January February pe- period, to build those meetings up.
0: And sort of culturally, you've got to reinforce the notion that Saturday the twenty sixth of February is a perfectly reasonable time to run a horse ahead of the Cheltenham Festival. Which, of course, in my youth, it was considered that was the ideal prep time to give a horse a run to get them, you know, gingered up for yeah. the for the for the festival. I mean, it, you might be trying to turn the tank around, but it would be <laughs> nice to believe that trainers could still think that that was the case. And, and you, as part of the now, you've now been outed. You've now been outed yeah. um, as part of the the quality. Jump racing review group can can surely affect that in some way.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, the, you know, I, it's it, it's become a huge trend in recent years to go straight to Cheltenham from the Christmas period, sometimes even before. And actually, uh, you know, I'm noticing it almost more and more now. But given given I've been involved in the in the quality jump review group, that even to you know today, Aputard straight to Cheltenham. I think I all not so sleepy. The humor is not straight to Cheltenham. Uh, alahoe pretty much straight to Cheltenham. You know, and this is and listen, I, you know irish racing must be slightly concerned because they've got their dublin racing festival at the beginning of february which was a great innovation you know addressing a need actually in this period um and and, and yet they're seeing some of their best horses going straight to cheltenham and and i think there's two things to this really i think uh, one we do need to turn that back side and try and incentivize the good horses to run more and run more before cheltenham and run more you know in that sort of you know post christmas pre-cheltenham period but i think we also have to accept there's only so many of those to go around and that's why Focusing at maybe, you know, a few rungs below and certainly high quality handicappers. There's no reason why good quality handicappers can't run more and certainly run between, you know, Christmas and, and Cheltenham. Um especially when the value of the handicaps like you know we, we, the the coral chase the old race post chase will be one hundred and fifty thousand pounds this year from 100 grand last year that'll be more valuable than any handicap run at the Cheltenham festival which i think has p- depend around the 110 120 i'd have to check but certainly you know and, and there'll be less and really it's 20 runners nowhere near as many irish coming to kempton we'd love them but they won't be as many so why wouldn't you run in the coral chase in february and you still can go and run in the kim Muir or the or the uh, national, the, well, the National hunt Chase Handicap on the first day whoever sponsored it at least I can't remember but you know or indeed a, a number of other races the the old uh, plate um, so and you know you know what I'm doing the, the cycles in terms of the way trainers train I mean you only have to look at other this place you know you look at Australia and the Melbourne Cup and they're running two days before and they turn up and run and it's a hugely valuable two mile handicap and there was talk last year about the reason the British horses got beaten by the Irish because they were so, so much more competitively trained racing at the start of February, the Dublin Racing Festival, was one of the reasons put forward for their success, wasn't it? That they, we, the English horses were undercooked. So, yeah, I don't know, I, 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 I can't help it. I, I, this, year, this year's Cheltenham Festival, I'm, I'll be willing horses that ran in February to win at the Channel Festival. And I'm not saying I'll be cheering against those that didn't. But, you know, I think it, it doesn't help if, if all the horses that don't run much win at Cheltenham, does it? Because we want to see them run more.
0: Uh, Simon Clare there with a, with a passionate... Advocacy for racing horses through the months of of January and February, right, Maddie? Play. Is, is this just sport hand wringing as usual, or must something be done?
1: Oh, Nick, that's a very easy question for me to answer. Um, something definitely needs to be done. You know, I was only talking yesterday with with Lee said, a colleague, about you know greats like like Desert Orchid, etc., running in in handicaps and and Gold Cup horses trialing for the race at places like market racing and clearly there is a balance to be had. we live in a different world these days but for me jump racing it's such a popular product um, we have such a great sport and at the moment it's just really letting itself down um, whether that be looking at it through the prism of poor prize money or uncompetitive fields um, not therefore making up a great betting product, or just in general, creating engaging racing. We're enduring a, a, a time period in the sport where things are looking increasingly one-sided in Ireland's favour at, at big meetings. Um, and I think we need to delve into why that is, otherwise we're going to be going down, I've said it before, but but a very worrying path.
0: There is nobody in horse racing more in demand at present than Nina Carberry. Odd, you might think, given that she's retired from race riding for for some time now. We know she's busy still with the the horses and with a young family. But she is now, well, she has been described as the dark horse, but is now firmly establishing herself as one of the favourites to win Dancing with the Stars in Ireland, which uh, premiered last night on RTE. And Nina is on her way to training now. Uh, Nina this can be an experience like no other how did it feel
3: oh it's like nothing I felt before it's it's full on it's I thought when I took on the the show it was going to be a bit of fun which it is it is a lot of fun but it's a lot of hard work as well in between but the first week was probably the hardest week I actually on my second night I came back to Ted and I was I was on the verge of crying going I can't do this I actually can't so I'm delighted now I got to the, the, the end of the, the first dance and uh, it was like a, a massive achievement for me so uh, when I think I have a few more dances to go I'll we'll see how we get on but um, I enjoyed it anyway and uh, hopefully we can stay in it for a little bit longer.
0: Now those of us who aren't in Ireland we're going to need some way of of getting to watch this or RTE player or whatever uh, but uh, just from all the pictures i've seen you look incredible you did the quick step with your your partner pasquale last night you're grinning from from ear to ear now uh, were you was that a rictus grin or were you genuinely enjoying yourself
3: in parts i was enjoying myself and other parts i was holding on for dear life <laughs> but uh, he's um, he's an amazing pasquale la Roca, He he's my pro dancer he's an amazing teacher and um what he got out of me last night was was brilliant, and it was a it was an experience that I will will remember for the rest of my life. And like to to experience the quick step and do it well, I was absolutely thrilled. And uh, it's all down to him because he trained me so hard for it. And um, there was a few um, times I probably was thrown in the town and he wouldn't let me. So um, it's all down to him really
0: now you're used to graft i mean you're used to hard work you're not frightened of it you can take it like a pro but how is this in terms of intensity of, of graft how is this compared to some of the stuff you've done before
3: yeah obviously like i've been riding on my life and uh, it comes it comes easy enough to me but doing something that i never done before and someone trying to teach me and i, I wasn't able to get it to be honest I didn't get it for the first two weeks. I wasn't even halfway through my first dance and my pro like was like why can't you get this? I said I don't. Know. <laughs> and uh like I, I was I was very slow to learn it and um that but then something just clicked and he was able to to teach me better and um yeah like it's it's just it's just a totally different thing and it just t- took a long time to, to teach me but. um no, it's it's a, it's a brilliant experience,
0: and I'm um, delighted I, I took it on. I, and I, when you when you were riding, you 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 were pretty focused. You were always you were always like very pleasant and and charming to deal with. But it's not as though you ever really sought the limelight. I mean, what's it like, sort of adrenaline-wise, coming out in front of that? You know, it, it, under the bright lights and the and the the band starting up. How how does that compare? It's
3: so hard because you have to look happy but your heart is beating inside going oh my god i it's 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 the weirdest feeling of all time cuz my my BT was going on behind me and i i i'm ready to dance so i'm like oh my god But it does hurry up and get it it's over and i'm standing in the middle of everybody and everyone's looking at me i'm like oh this is desperate you know at least you were down at the start in a race no one is looking at you you know what i mean so um, no my my pro dancer was he's so professional and uh, he's so much experience he helped me through everything and um, yeah he helped me kind of everywhere really to to, to kind of prepare me for the first dance
0: I know you're saying it's a great buzz, it's a great experience, but yeah, anyone who's played competitive sport, I wouldn't have a clue what this feels like, but anyone I know who's played competitive sport, even when it comes to something fun or entertainment, they want to win. So have you got the bit between your teeth now?
3: Oh, definitely. Definitely got the bug last night. Um, yeah, obviously there's bits that like i should have done better and you know that kind of way so at least you know the next the next dance i want to be try and be better again you know it's just going to be very hard it's i don't
4: know if you know it
0: nick it's the rumba so uh well, i l- didn't know what, what... listen <laughs> listen Neil, I, I wouldn't even attempt a, a, a rumba so I, I i but i've watched enough i've watched enough strictly or dancing with the stars in the states to know to know that it's pretty damn hard
3: yeah it's it's very hard and it's a totally different dance to a quick step so yeah so, so it's going to be interesting to see how we get on but um hopefully i'll, I'll do a good attempt and uh, we we get we get through again hopefully
0: and are they looking after you well
3: oh really well yeah like it's it's tough going uh, i have to obviously do it all the horses in the morning and then feed them in the evenings and then i I go straight to meet Pasquale to train every evening so it is full on and um, but once the show starts you're well prepared you, you get a good few rehearsals and stuff so um no everybody involved it's, it's a great production
0: and presumably this means quite a bit more work for for Ted at home as well
3: yeah in fairness he's, he's done great he was the one pushing me to do it and I was like seriously he wants to mind the kids in the evening, so he, he's 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 pulling he's pulling his way too. So, in fairness to him, he's been
0: brilliant. Oh, listen! Best of luck. Um, I can't wait to, to see a copy of this, and um, we'll 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 try and do our best to uh, to find it. But um, I I hope it's as a, as amazing as a journey as it sounds so far. Yeah.
3: Thanks, Nick. Hope you enjoy it.
0: <laughs> the wonderful Nina Carberry. Now, racing is not only flashing its talents on the dance floor in Ireland, but in England. In the recording studio as well, courtesy of a man who racegoers would normally be more familiar with as a stewards panel chair in the north of England, Neil Edmondson. And Neil joins me now. And Neil, you're raising money for the Injured Jockeys Fund and Racing Welfare. Uh, what have you been up to?
5: Um, well, we're, uh, I played in a rock band for some considerable years now and um, was um, prompted to get my drum kit back out um, in the lockdown and was lucky enough to um, contact um, some members of a band I used to play with for sort of 10 or 12 years. And um, we're very fortunate that um, I do know Deidre Johnson and um, she jumped at the chance of singing with us um, and um, we thought, well, we could try and put something together um, to raise money for the charities you've mentioned.
0: Well, let's just have a little listen to to how you've got on. This is we're gonna we're gonna play. I, th- I think th- you've nominated this as your as your as your best track. Just just tell us what it well,
5: is. It's it's the first track we've done. I'm not sure it's it's the best. Uh, you know, we have quite a list of numbers that we plan to record um, in the near future, but it was the first one that we chose. Uh, It's my wife's favourite. I think that was why. It is Credence Clearwater Revival, Have You Ever Seen the Rain?
0: Edmondson's band featuring Deirdre Johnson raising money for the injured jockeys fund and racing welfare or well, that's the idea Neil first of all why F35
5: well it's a BHA regulation uh, it's interference
0: <laughs> only a steward's panel chair could do something like that it sounds like it's a great name for the band
5: <laughs> thank you
0: um, okay so um, what's the plan now in terms of trying to raise raise more money
5: well, we, we we're looking for um, well, either sponsorship or uh, donations. Um, we just really weren't quite sure how to progress this to be fair.
0: So you just need some ideas as well. So if anyone wants to yes, come and to come to come and back you to push it to try and get the album yeah. together, to get it out there to sort out any kind of issues you might have, you' you're basically after a, a, a helping hand trying to get this to as wide a, an audience as possible.
5: Absolutely, we 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 have been promised some money um, already. So I mean, um, support and advice uh, is as welcome as the financial uh, aspect of it.
0: Well, it is Tuesday, so we go around the Bloodstock world with our friends at uh, Weatherby's and their Stallion book and the Global Stallion app. And uh, they've taken us to some weird and wonderful place, the nooks and crannies of the industry all over the globe. But we're very much in the mainstream today, checking in at Darley, one of the great Global Stallion stations, to Dalham Hall Stud, to their director of stallions. Uh, Sam Bullard huge supporter of the Weatherby Stallion book as well they've got 33 stallions featured in the book this year so Sam you'll be relieved to know I'm not going to ask you about each and every one of the 33 stallions but suffice to say you've got quite a lot to look forward to in 2022 dare I say more to look forward to than perhaps ever before
6: good morning Nick um yeah we have very lucky fantastic roster of stallions now taken time to build up but yeah there's some great some wonderful horses on there, and very exciting times here.
0: I think it's worth contextualizing that Sam, because people talk about Dali as though it has been around for centuries. In fact, when you build up a stallion station, you're actually relatively young.
6: Well, that's very flattering of you, I think um. <laughs> Dubai Millennium was probably the catalyst, Nick. You know, he was the one he was the one that really set the set the stallion interest running. And um, and what a legacy he's left us! So that was, you know, that was obviously twenty two years ago. Mm,
0: twenty two years ago, and his legacy is seen most primarily in the in the shape of Dubai. Do you ever reflect on quite how surreal it is that from so few foals, because he sadly died, you know, very young, Dubai Millennium, um, that y- you've got a, a breed shaper.
6: Uh, f- frequently. I mean, it's an, extra- it's an extraordinary story. Um, Dubawi has, as you said, he's, you know, he's carrying all before him in his own right. But for us, for what we do every day, the way his sons are now performing at stud is yeah, that's that's what it's all about. It's, that's really exciting.
0: Because right, it's one thing to breed a great sire, a, a, a sire that you know is right up there in the top two or three every year. It's another to produce a, a sire of sires. When did you first get an inkling that yeah, that was actually a possibility?
6: Well, I think Night of Thunder hit the ground running, didn't he? I mean, you know, I I was always slightly. I, I was, I suppose, I was disappointed by how little credit um, Knight of Thunder got when he won the Guineas in Newmarket, and um, and he probably went to stud slightly under the radar. He went to stud at the same time as Golden Horn, and um, he had a lot of competition. And he has just never looked back. And he was the he was the one who really made us sit up and think. Hang on, maybe this, maybe this is going to happen. And you know, and now with other sons proving to do so well like time test like new bay um, we're you know like Zarek. We're, we're looking we're looking it's exciting
0: so does that give you much more confidence does that sort of make everybody without being arrogant sort of puff their chest a bit when for example you're marketing a horse like too darn hot with his lovely pedigree and his, his great two-year-old record and he's got his first yearlings this year does it make you go into the market with a bit more gusto <sighs>
6: I think, yes, of course it of course it does, of course it does, I mean he is you know people know that he is capable of getting a very good stallion son, and thanks to the thanks to the rest of the operation, you've got horses like Gaeth retiring who you know he's only the highest rated horse in the world, Nick, and he's by Dubawi and he retired he retired to Kildangan last year, and that is you know how lucky's that, and then you're talking about Tudan hot, what a brilliant horse he was and Oh my god, look at his pedigree. I mean, you know, some well known some well known writers have been saying what an incredible opportunity he has to be success to be a success as a stallion. And you know, so you've got horses like that coming through and then, you know, Charlie's recently retired space blues. It's mm. it's it's really, really it's you know, it's 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 good.
0: And Space Blues might be well, he is the, the you know, the, certainly the fastest Group One winning son of Dubawi to, to retire to stud. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that in terms of what he's achieved in, in his race record. I, I'm interested to know from you, Sam. I mean, we all know what on paper produces a good stallion, and we've talked about that a little bit. When you see the horses come out of training and come into the into the stallion yard, and you've got an absolutely brilliant team of people that I've, I've seen at first hand at Dalham Hall, how quickly do you think, in your heart of hearts? you know whether a horse has got the aptitude and the application to make it in that second job.
6: Well that's that's so interesting. I mean we all we all look at their you know their racing record, we all look at them physically to see how correct they are, that people are very critical about that. We all want to know what their pedigree is and that's written down and you know one can assess all those things and you can deliberate on them forever and people have their views and that's part of the fun of the game the biggest key with that i believe now the longer one stays in it the longer one does it is it's the unseen it's what goes on between their ears it's what you really can never guarantee and it's that unseen bit that dubawi seems to pass on to his sons which i really believe is the unique element um you know, in in that line of
0: stallions. And I quite often talk to people who run studs and they say that is reflected quite often in the way that the, a stallion goes about his business. You know, he is efficient, he is fertile, he can cover plenty of mares, he is unflustered. You can shuttle horses, which I guess nowadays for you as part of your business model, is huge, isn't it? The idea that you can get a horse with the temperament to go to another hemisphere and do exactly what he did in the spring in, in our autumn.
6: Yeah, that's that is that's a massive um, development within the last 25 years and of course it makes um their value hugely greater because they have they have two hemispheres in which they can earn in effectively but actually it gives them a completely new marketplace in which they might succeed because as you know better than me racing in australia racing in the southern hemisphere is very different to racing in europe and so they have a completely new market where when they travel, and I think that gives the horses a great, you know, another opportunity.
0: You're standing stallions all over the world, and you know you're covering a lot of mares with with some of these stallions. The legislation that's intended to come in in America to limit uh, books of of mares to stallions, Sam, do you think that uh, that is something that is is likely a to, to to come into into being, and b is likely to have a very significant impact on major stallion stations such as yours.
6: It's a fascinating development and I think that it is interesting to watch what's going on and there are you know there's being challenged at the moment as you said in the courts in America this idea that stallion books may be limited to 130. I don't think we have a reputation for covering huge books anyway and um, you know none of our first season horses this year are going to cover huge books and so I, I personally, and this is a purely personal view, I look forward to the day when we have some form of limitation on books. Because I think that market forces will ensure that the value of the stallion is, is pretty much the same. And I just I think that flooding the market with young horses is probably not very healthy in the long term. But that is, that's just a personal view. But it's interesting to see what is going to happen over in America.
0: So these views don't necessarily represent the views of everyone at Dali or everyone at Godolphin. This is a this is Sam Bullard with his with his blueprint for the, the health of the industry.
6: This is absolutely I mean, you know, the fact that we don't cover huge books suggests that uh, that most of us agree to that. But I certainly I certainly believe that massive books are detrimental in the long run. And I hope that I hope that they I hope they come down again.
0: And is is this more a question of trying not to produce too many horses, or is it a question of the breed being too homogenous if you cover too many too many mares with one stallion? What what's what sort of driving your your view?
6: Well, you might you might be surprised at, the, at my answer, but I think that it's feeding the fashion, and I think the fashion in the industry is a big problem that all breeders have, in that everybody has to be commercial to a degree but particularly you know ordinary breeders with half a dozen mares out there they've got to make some money to pay the way because it's very hard as we as we discuss daily to win through prize money and so these breeders have got to be able to make some money and the fashion is driven by these huge books and you know it's long been it's long been a fact that the horses with the biggest coverings of the horses that make the most money in the sale ring. Well, that's, that's all about fashion. It isn't necessarily where all the winners come from.
0: And Sam, we talked a little bit in the past about artificial insemination. You're still not allowed to inseminate thoroughbreds artificially. Do you think that that is something that the sport has to realise and wake up to as an inevitable...
6: I'm a huge supporter of the, in, of the of the industry sitting down and discussing the pros and cons of very you know, of all these things. I think pushing it under the carpet and hoping it'll go away is not is not the right thing to do. And I think we've seen this happen too often in this industry in other areas. And let's let's get intelligent people around the table and talk about it. because undoubtedly there are some positives to it but let's let's discuss it before someone forces it on us and as we know that in australia very recently there was a court case over exactly this and um, it was lucky that it went the way that racing wanted it to go but we don't have any form of blueprint as an industry should this be forced on us one day and i think that's a mistake
0: well thanks to sam and to all my guests today um just remains for me to ask maddie playle for a tip
1: Yes, I am going to Exeter and I'm afraid I'm going to go with a familiar um, sort of trusted route. I'm going to go for the Venetia Williams trained Fuji flight in the 1250 um, at the top of the market, admittedly. But I think he ran such a bold race um, behind N card in the Tommy Whittle last time. It was quite a quietly eye catching um, run. And this horse has had uh, just two starts since wind surgery now. He should be able to get the job done off what looks a lenient mark of 122.
0: Maddie, thanks so much. That was Tuesday, January the 11th. I'm off to Exeter now in a bit of a rush. Bye bye. See you again tomorrow. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with FitzDares, the Racehorse Owners Association and thoroughbred racing commentary.